Hello, and welcome to the Mormon History Podcast. Episode 1.5, What We Believe, The Commandments. In October of 2015, Thomas S. Monson, prophet and president of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, addressed the world in a general conference. His message was simple, keep the commandments. He said that, quote, God's commandments are not given to frustrate us or to become obstacles to our happiness. Just the opposite is true. He who created us and lo- who loved us perfectly knows that just how we need to live our lives in order to obtain the greatest happiness possible. He has provided us with guidelines which, if we follow them, will see us safely through our often treacherous mortal mortal journey. We remember the words of the familiar hymn, Keep the Commandments. In this there is safety, in this there is peace. Our Heavenly Father loves us enough to say, Thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, and so on. We know the commandments. He understands that when we keep the commandments, our lives will be happier, more fulfilling, and less complicated. Our challenges and problems will be easier to bear, and we will receive his promised blessings. But while he gives us laws and commandments, he also allows us to choose whether to accept them or to reject them. Our decisions in this regard will determine our destiny. End quote. Obedience to the commandments of God will always result in happiness, joy, and confidence before God. Elder Jorg Klebengat of the Seventy gave a general conference talk in October 2014 about approaching the throne of God with confidence. He gave the following advice to the members of the church. Quote, Acknowledge that you cannot love God without also loving his commandments. The Savior's standard is clear and simple. If you love me, keep my commandments. Selective obedience brings selective blessings, and choosing something bad over something worse is still choosing wrong. Also do the right things for the right reasons. The Lord, who requireth the heart and a willing mind, and who is a discerner of thoughts of intents of the heart, knows why you go to church, whether you are present in body only or in truly worshiping. Make the church and the restored gospel your whole life, not just a part of your outward and social life. Choosing this day whom you will serve is, is lip service only until you actually live accordingly. Spiritual confidence increases when you are truly striving for the right reasons to live a consecrated life in spite of your imperfections. End quote. In this episode of the Mormon History Podcast, we will examine the commandments of God as they are listed in Preach My Gospel, A Guide to Missionary Service. The first commandment listed is to pray often. Mormons pray to Heavenly Father in the name of Jesus Christ and receive answers through the Holy Ghost. We believe that we can pray at any time or in any setting. Christ taught that we ought to pray, how we ought to pray during the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 6, 5-8. Quote, And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which hath, which seeth the secret shall reward thee openly. But when we pray, use not rep- vain repetitions, as the heathen do. 
for they think that they shall be heard in their much speaking. Be not, be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things they, ye need of before ye ask him. End quote. He then gave an example of a prayer called the Lord's Prayer. Many in other churches use the Lord's Prayer when they pray. We believe that each prayer should be original, not just heartfelt. While Christ's example is the perfect example of a prayer, Heavenly Father wants to hear your voice and your own words. We are also to avoid being showy in prayers. Prayers are intended for the glory of God, not man. Long, elaborate prayers in public should be saved for special circumstances, like the, like the dedication of a church building or a temple. Prayers should be fervent, humble, and always sincere. Mormons are encouraged to pray day and night. Through daily prayer, we can receive answers to our innermost questions. We can also access the very powers of heaven through prayer. The most powerful, most influential, and most important event in the history of the world, the Atonement of Jesus Christ, began with Christ praying on our behalf. Prayer is powerful, and it is no, no wonder that it is one of the most simple yet important commandments. The next commandment listed in Preach My Gospel is Scripture Study. We are commanded to study the Scriptures. There are four books of, anointed, of approved Scripture in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The Holy Bible, the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants, and the Pearl of Great Price. English-speaking Mormons generally use the King James Version of the Bible. Though its language is archaic at times, it is believed to be the most correct of the translations of the Bible. In 1992, the First Presidency released a statement on the King James Version. It reads, quote, Since the days of the Prophet Joseph Smith, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has used the King James Version of the Bible for English-speaking members. The Bible, as it has been transmitted over the centuries, has suffered the loss of many plain and precious parts. We believe the Bible to be the Word of God as far as it is translated correctly. We also believe the Book of Mormon to be the Word of God. Article of Faith 1.8 Many versions of the Bible are available today. Unfortunately, no original manuscripts of any portion of the Bible are available for comparison to determine the most accurate version. However, the Lord has revealed clearly the doctrine of the Gospel in these latter days. The most reliable way to measure the accuracy of any biblical passage is not by comparing different texts, but by comparison with the Book of Mormon and modern-day revelations. While other Bible versions may appear to be easier to read than the King James Version, in doctrinal matters, Latter-day Revelation supports the King James Version in preference to other English translations. All of the presidents of the Church, beginning with the Prophet Joseph Smith, have supported the King James Version by encouraging its continued use in the church in light of all in light of all the above it is the english language bible used by the church of jesus christ of latter day saints the lds version of the bible 1979 contains the king james version supplemented and clarified by footnotes study aids and cross references to the book of mormon doctrine and covenants and the pearl of great price these four books are the standard works of the church we encourage all members to have their own copies of the complete standard works and to use them prayerfully in regular personal and family study, and in church meetings and assignments. Sincerely, your brethren, Ezra Taft Benson, Gordon B. Hinckley, Thomas S. Monson. End quote. Joseph Smith, by revelation, retranslated parts of the Bible. 
Some of these translations are found in the Pearl of the Great Price, and others are contained in the appendix to the LDS version of the King James Bible. These translations cl clarify key points in the Bible and reflect the original intent of the biblical authors. I will explain more about the Joseph Smith translation of the Bible in a future episode. For an explanation of the Book of Mormon, see episodes 1.1 and 1.2 of this podcast. In, in his last general conference talk, President Thomas S. Monson pleaded with members of the church to read the Book of Mormon daily. Quote, We live in a time of great trouble and wickedness. What will protect us from the sin and evil so prevalent in the world today? I maintain that a strong testimony of our Savior Jesus Christ and of his gospel will help us through to safety. If you are not reading the Book of Mormon each day, please do so. My dear associates in the work of the Lord, I implore each of us to read prayerfully and study and ponder the Book of Mormon each day. As we do so, we will be in a position to hear the voice of the Spirit, to resist temptation, and to overcome fear and doubt, and to receive Heaven's help in our lives." End quote. According to the introduction to the Doctrine and Covenants, the Doctrine and Covenants is a collection of divine revelations and inspired declarations given to the, for the establishment and regulation of the Kingdom of God on the earth in the last days. Although most of the sections are directed to members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the messages, warnings, and exhortations are for the benefit of all mankind and contain an invitation to all people everywhere to hear the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ, speaking to them for their temporal well-being and their everlasting salvation. The Doctrine of Covenants is unique because it is not a translation of an ancient document, but it's of modern origin, and is given of God through his chosen prophets for the restoration of his holy work and the establishment of his kingdom on the earth in these days. In the Revelations, the, doctrine, the doctrines of the Gospel are set forth with explanations about such fundamental matters such as the nature of the Godhead, the origin of man, the reality of Satan, the purpose of mortality, the necessity for obedience, the need for repentance, the workings of the Holy Spirit, the ordinances and performances that, need, that pertain to salvation, the destiny of the earth, the future conditions of man after the resurrection and judgment, the eternity of marriage relationship, and the eternal nature of, of the family. Likewise, the gradual unfolding of the administrative structure of the church is shown, with the calling of bishops, the first presidency, the council of the twelve, and the seventy, and the establishment of other presiding offices and quorums. Finally, the testimony is given that of the Lord Jesus Christ, his divinity, his majesty, his perfection, his love, and his redeeming power, makes this book of great value to, to the human family and worth to the church, uh, worth to the church, the riches of the whole earth. End quote. The Pearl of the Great Price is a selection of translations and documents that touch many aspects of the faith and doctrine of the church. It contains the Book of Moses, an extract from the Book of Genesis of Joseph Smith's translation of the Bible, the Book of Abraham, an inspired translation of Abraham's ancient writings, Joseph Smith Matthew, an extract of Joseph Smith's translation of the Book of, of Matthew, Joseph Smith History, excerpts from Joseph, Joseph's official testimony and history, and the Articles of Faith. Those who read the scriptures obey God's commandment found in John 3.39. Search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and, ye which they, and they are that testify of me. 
According to scripture, God created the earth in six days, then rested on the seventh. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai, having talked with God, he presented the Israelites with the Ten Commandments. One of these commandments reads, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but on the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. Exodus 20, 8-11 Later in Exodus, the Lord commanded Moses, Speak thou also unto the children of Israel, saying, Verily my Sabbaths ye shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout the generations, that ye may know that I am the Lord that doth sanctify you. And ye shall keep the Sabbath therefore, for it is holy unto you. Everyone that defileth it shall surely be put to death. For whosoever doeth any work therein, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days may work be done, but on the seventh day is the Sabbath of, the, of rest, holy to the Lord. Whosoever doeth any work on the Sabbath, he shall surely be put to death. Wherefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations for a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. Exodus 31, 12-17 The Sabbath day was so important to God that in the time of Moses one could be put to death for defiling it. While we do not put people to death today for working on the Sabbath, the, the Sabbath remains an integral part of Mormon life. The prophet Isaiah said that we should call the Sabbath a delight. Isaiah 58:13. In April 2015, now President Russell M. Nelson emphasized Isaiah's words. I am intrigued, quote, I am intrigued by the words of Isaiah, who called the Sabbath a delight. Yet I wonder, is the Sabbath really a delight for you and for me? I first found delight in the Sabbath many years ago when, as a busy surgeon, I knew of the Sabbath that the Sabbath came a day for personal became a day for personal healing. By the end of the week my hands were sore from repeatedly scrubbing them with soap and water and a bristle bristle brush. I also needed a breather from the burden of of my demanding profession. Sunday provided much needed relief. End quote. In Hebrew, the word Sabbath means rest. We are meant to rest on Sundays. That doesn't mean that we sleep all day, but we do things that refresh our minds and rest our bodies. One day during Christ's ministry, the Pharisees spotted some disciples collecting grain in a field on the Sabbath. They asked Jesus why the disciples were working on the Sabbath. Christ reminded them that David, when he was in need and was hungry, ate the shoe bread in the temple which was unlawful for anyone but priests to eat. Christ then said, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Mark 2.27 He added that he was the Lord of the Sabbath. Russell M. Nelson expounded upon this. What did the Lord mean when he said, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath? I believe he wanted us to understand that the Sabbath was his gift to us, granting real respite from the rigors of daily life, an opportunity for spiritual and physical renewal. God gave us a special day, not for the amusement or daily labor, but a rest from duty, with physical and spiritual relief. End quote. After the resurrection of Christ, which occurred on the first day of the week, see Mark 16.2, the Lord's disciples began observing the Sabbath on the first day of the week, Sunday. Evidence for this is found in Acts 27. 
Acts 20, verse 7, when Paul was in Troas, it reads, quote, And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow. End quote. Today we observe the Sabbath on a Sunday. It is the day that we take the sacrament, attend church meetings, and choose to fellowship with family and friends. It is a great day to enjoy nature or the company of those you love. Another commandment is for us to be baptized and confirmed. Preach My Gospel reads, quote, The way that we show our desire to follow in God's way is through baptism and confirmation. When we are baptized and confirmed, we enter into a covenant with God that we will take upon ourselves the name of Jesus Christ, and we will always remember Him and keep His commandments. We also, we also promise to stand as witnesses of God at all times and to assist those in need. In return, God promises that for the constant companionship of the Holy Ghost, our remission of our sins, and being born again. End quote. Elijah is one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament. He is an exemplar of a prophet of what a prophet is supposed to be. One day he went to the city of Zarephath. When he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks. And he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel, that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thy hand. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal in a barrel, and a little oil in a cruise. And, behold, I am gathering two sticks, that I may go and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first, and bring it unto me, and after make for thee and thy son. For thus saith the Lord the God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah. And she and he and her house did eat it for many days. And the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake unto Elijah. 1 Kings 17, 10-16 So Elijah asked the widow of Zarephath to exercise her faith by doing something counterintuitive, using the last of her food to feed a stranger. But the widow was faithful and obeyed the prophet's words, and she made her, the food for Elijah and reached into her grain container and found that there was still a little bit left in there. There was also just enough oil in the cruise. Every time she made more, she found that more grain and oil appeared. Thus, she never ran out of food, and she and her son did not die of hunger. But the trouble was not yet over. Soon thereafter, the widow's son contracted a disease and died. The grieving mother asked Elijah if he had come to call her to repentance and cause the death of her son. She blamed Elijah for the misfortune that had happened. Elijah prayed over the body of the child, asking God to revive him. God heard Elijah's request, and the child lived. And the woman said to Elijah, Now by this I know that thou art a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in thy mouth is truth. 1 Kings 17.24 Today we have a prophet on the earth. Ever since 1820, there, has been, there have been prophets and apostles on the earth, starting with Joseph Smith. When Joseph Smith died, the Quorum of the Twelve took over and Brigham Young was called. 
until Bermuda was called. Called, set apart, and sustained. Russell M. Nelson is the prophet today. If we listen to him and heed his counsel, as a widow heeded the counsel of Elijah, we will be blessed. Obedience always brings blessings. Prophets are also seers and revelators. They can see the future, as God grants them the knowledge. Of course, God won't tell them everything that will come to pass. No prophet predicted the horrors of World War II, and God hasn't given Russell Nelson warning of school shootings or tragic accidents. Prophets mostly warn of spiritual dangers, such as drug addiction, alcoholism, pornography, complacency, the disintegration of families, etc. Sometimes, however, they give advice about more secular things. Modern prophets have always warned about, about successive, excessive and unnecessary debt. They advise all members to keep a food storage in case of emergency, disaster, or unemployment. Spencer W. Kimball, a modern prophet, suggested that all, all members build and maintain a garden, even if it is a couple tomato plants. The purpose of the prophet is to guide us and serve as a mouthpiece for God. This does not mean the prophets speak for God in everything they say. For example, Joseph Fielding Smith claimed that no man could ever reach, could ever travel through space or make it to the moon. But then the space race reached its ultimate goal to not only get a man into space, but also onto the moon in 1969. I wouldn't argue whether or not man actually made it to the moon. This is not a conspiracy theory podcast. But it's true that the prophets have stated things that either did not come to pass or have ended up being completely wrong. But prophets have always been imperfect. Moses directly disobeyed God when he struck the rock in order to create a fountain, and he was punished by not being able to enter the promised land. Jonah refused to preach to the people of Nineveh and even tried to run from God. He was punished by being swallowed by a whale. As I will cover in a future episode, Joseph Smith lost a portion of the Book of Mormon and almost had his prophethood stripped from him. Many people in church history, early and contemporary, make mistakes, sometimes grave mistakes, but they are all human uh, and mistakes are to be expected. But we can have faith that the prophet can speak for God. I've had the opportunity to be in the same room as a prophet of God, as well as a couple apostles in the 70s. I know that they are men of God and have the capacity to bring us the message, bring on message, messages from Heavenly Father to us. We must follow the prophet with faith, not blind faith, but with humility and meekness. He will not lead us astray. At times, I have questioned certain decisions and policy made by the church, but I've never doubted the veracity and truth of the calling of the prophet. I know that Russell M. Nelson is our prophet. I know that Thomas S. Monson was the prophet in his time, Brigham Young of his time, and Joseph Smith of his time, and so forth. These men were called of God and have talked to God face to face as in the holy temple. Following the prophet can only result in safety and peace. In 2015, there was a case taken to the Supreme Court of the United States concerning a monument at the Texas State Capitol in Austin. In Orden v. Perry, the question was, does the inscription of the Ten Commandments on the monument violate the Establishment Clause of the First Amendment of the United States Constitution? After all, it was on government property, and it seemed to favor Judeo-Christians. A similar case happened in Kentucky, uh, McCreary County versus ACLU of Kentucky. 
concerning the display of the Ten Commandments at two county courthouses. I won't discuss whether or not the rulings of these cases were correct or not. I will mention that the result of Orden and Perry, Orden versus Perry, was a holding that the Ten Commandments monument did not violate the Establishment Clause. This makes one wonder, why are the Ten Commandments still so significant that we would place them at courthouses or state capitals? This is because they are so fundamental to justice and law in the ancient world and are reflected in modern laws. The Ten Commandments are found in Exodus 20, 1-17, and Deuteronomy 5, 4-21. They are as follows. 1. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. 2. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. 3. Thou shalt not take the name of God in vain. 4. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. 5. Honor thy father and thy mother. 6. Thou shalt not kill. 7. Thou shalt not commit adultery. 8. Thou shalt not steal. 9. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. 10. Thou shalt not covet. Let's take these apart. God commanded that we shall have no other gods before him, and make no graven image. This refers to the Israelites' tendencies to revert to polytheism, or the worship of multiple gods, and their tendencies to worship idols. These apply to us today, as we sometimes make idols, not of a pantheon of mythological beings, but of things we metaphorically worship. Work can be a huge idol, and the pursuit of money. When it becomes more important to make money than to worship and obey God, then it becomes idol worship, which is abominable before God. There are many parallels that can be drawn, but I will leave it at that. God commands us not to take his name in vain. This applies to members, all the members of the Godhead. When we use God's name in exclamations such as, Oh my God, then we are using his name in vain. His name is sacred, and we should reserve it for when we actually refer to him or to pray to him. You won't use your parents' name in vain, so why would you misuse God's or Christ's name? It's a matter of respect for holy things. We already we have already discussed the Sabbath day, so I'll just skip to the fifth commandment. Honor thy father and mother. Not that, that it does say not that it does not say obey thy father and mother. In many cases parents can be wrong. They can even do things contradictory to God's laws or try to make you disobey God. They can also be abusive. If your parents are faithful and want your best, then you will do well to obey them. But no matter what, you should you should honor them. Even if that just means forgiving them for making mistakes and doing wrong, really we, we must forgive everyone according to Christ. In most cases, parents only want the best for their children. Even when their children are grown and have kids of their own, the parents turned grandparents have wisdom and love that should be accessed and shared with the entire family. I love my parents and know that they want the best for me. I am lucky to be able to say the same for my grandparents. I know that I can trust these people and rely on them when I need help. I hope to honor them by obeying God's commandments and working my way to live with them forever. The next commandment can be tricky for Mormons. Of course, Mormons don't go around killing people. They know that it is only in self-defense that this is condoned by God. But later on in this podcast, we will hear of the story of Nephi. Nephi was a prophet in the Book of Mormon who, early on in his ministry, was told by God to kill a wicked man. God told him that it is better for one man to perish than for a nation to dwindle in disbelief. Some, especially within the church, have a hard time with this. 
We cannot comprehend the thinking of God. All we know is that he commands it, we must obey. That said, I seriously doubt God will ever ask me to kill anyone. But the commandment of thou shalt not kill can still be controversial. What about war? What about the death penalty? These are some good discussions for a different episode, or perhaps a different podcast. For the sake of not taking up your time, I'll just say that killing is wrong and is not condoned by God. Thou shalt not commit adultery. I will finish discussing the other three commandments, then move on to the law of chastity, which discusses this particular topic. Thou shalt not steal. This is obvious. If it isn't yours, don't take it. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. It can be interpreted to mean, don't lie in general. In order to enter the temple, one must profess to his bishop that he is honest with his fellow men. Among other things, honesty is very important to God. Finally, do not covet. Be grateful for what the Lord has given you. If you want more or want to be better, then work for it. If you, It won't do you any good to dwell on how less beautiful, rich, smart, or athletic you are. Comparing yourself to others will only result in misery and will strain relationships. A truly happy man will never covet that of another. He will work towards getting better and becoming like God in Christ. The law of chastity can be simple and it can be complex. I'll be careful how I explain it so this episode doesn't have to be marked as explicit. In the Ten Commandments, it is simply put as, Thou shalt not commit adultery. Adultery is when a married person has sexual relations with someone other than their spouse. In other words, the law of chastity states that sexual relations should be kept between husband and wife, legally married by the law of the land. Living together and having sexual relations outside of marriage violates the law of chastity. Living together with uh, outside of marriage. Sexual relations before marriage, in any case, is against the law of chastity. Members of the church are not asked to be celibate, however. Celibacy goes against God's commandment to Adam and Eve to multiply and replenish the earth. Children are meant to be born to a mother and a father who love each other, and in a family that can someday be eternal. Abortion is severely discouraged. Here's what Elias Sodorg has to say on the subject. Quote, Human life is a sacred gift from God. Elective abortion for personal and social convenience is contrary to the will and commandment of God. Church members who submit to, perform, encourage, pay for, or arrange for such abortions may lose their membership in the church. In today's society, abortion has become a common practice, defended by deceptive arguments. Latter-day prophets have denounced abortion, referring to God's declaration, Thou shalt not kill or do anything like unto it. Doctrine and Covenants 59.6 their counsel on the matter is clear. Members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints must not submit to, perform, encourage, pay for, or arrange for an abortion. Church members who encourage an abortion may, in any way may be subject to church discipline. Church leaders have said that some exception, exceptional circumstances may justify an abortion, such as when the pregnancy is a result of incest or rape, when the life or health of the mother is judged by competent medical authority to be in serious jeopardy, or when the fetus is known by competent medical authority to have severe defects that will not allow the baby to survive beyond birth. But even these circumstances do not automatically justify an abortion. To those who face such circumstances should consider abortion only after consulting with their local church leaders and receiving a confirmation through earnest prayer. When a child is conceived out of wedlock, the best option for the mother and father of the child is to marry and to work towards establishing an eternal family relationship. 
If a successful marriage is not likely, then they should place the child for adoption, preferably through LDS Family Services. End quote. Latter-day Saints are also strongly warned against pornography. Pornography is extremely harmful to families and individuals. It and everything that goes with it should be avoided at all costs. It will destroy relationships and kill love. This is what LDS.org has to say about pornography. Quote, Physical intimacy is a sacred part of the Heavenly Father's plan of happiness. However, the adversary tries to thwart the Lord's plan of happiness by suggesting that physical intimacy is only for personal gratification. Pornography is a tool of the adversary, and its use causes the Spirit of the Lord to withdraw from us. See Doctrine and Covenants 63.16. Potential effects of pornography include isolation, secrecy, and deceit that damage relationships and leave one vulnerable to poor self-esteem, anxiety, and depression, unrealistic expectations, and misinformation about sexual intimacy, conditioning us to see people as objects to be used and abused, and the development of obsessive thoughts and compulsive behaviors. Elder Russell M. Russell Ballard counseled, If you're involved in, if you're entrapped in this practice, get spiritual help now. You can overcome pornography with the Savior's assistance. Do not wait. End quote. We believe that marriage is only between one man and one woman. It's to be only between one man and one woman. The church is doing everything it can to reach out to, the, to its LGBT members without compromising its standards. God dearly loves each of his LGBT sons and daughters. He does not discriminate against his LGBT children. In the church, homosexuality is referred to as same-sex attraction. According to the church's website, Mormon and Gay, attraction is not, is not identity. People can make their own choices about how to identify. There are active, temple recommend holding church members who comply with the law of chastity and identify themselves as gay, lesbian, or bisexual. There are active members of the church who experience same-sex attraction and never choose to identify themselves as using a label. Our primary identity will always be as a child of God. End quote. Even if you identify as LGBT uh, and are open about it, even if you practice it, God still loves you. He will never stop loving you. To finish up on the law of chastity, I will quote and preach my gospel. Quote, God delights in chastity and hates sexual sin. Chastity includes strict abstinence from sexual relations before marriage and complete fidelity and loyalty to one's spouse after marriage. Those who live the law of chastity also enjoy the strength that comes from self-control. They enjoy confidence and trust in their family relationships. They can enjoy more fully the influence of the Holy Ghost in their lives. Those who break through this law are subject to a lasting sense of shame and guilt that burdens their lives. Chastity requires faithfulness in thought and action. We must keep our thoughts clean and live modest in our dress, speech, and actions. We must avoid pornography in any form. We should treat the God-given procreative power and our bodies as sacred. End quote. In February 20, on February 27, 1833, Joseph Smith received a revelation contained in the 89th section of the Doctrine and Covenants, referred to as the Word of Wisdom. It is also known as the Lord's Law of Health. I will go in depth on the origins and history of the Word of Wisdom in a later episode, but for now I will explain what it means. The Word of Wisdom states that we are only to eat the things that are good for our bodies and abstain from things that can harm us. 
There are five basic things that we are told to avoid in order to keep the word of wisdom. Coffee, tea, alcohol, smoking, and drugs. Some of these are more obviously harmful than others. We are to avoid addictive substances like alcohol, smoking of any kind, and drugs, as well as habit-forming substances like coffee. Tea is a little more complicated. When I served my proselyting mission to Brazil, I found that everyone drank herbal tea, including church leadership. When I sheepishly asked them for an explanation, I was told that it depended on the type of tea used. They explained that black tea, or tea using tea leaves, was forbidden, while tea made from fruits and some herbs were beneficial to the body. To this day, I cannot explain why some teas are permissible and some aren't. It comes down to trust in God. The Word of Wisdom also discusses that we must eat plenty of fruits, vegetables, and grains, and abstain from excessive amounts of meat. Meat is not forbidden, but we are asked to have moderation in its consumption, as well as in all things. To those who keep the Word of Wisdom, the Lord promised, quote, All saints who remember to keep and do these things, work walking in obedience to the commandments, shall receive health in their navel and marrow to their bones, and shall find wisdom and great treasures of knowledge, even hidden treasures, and shall run and not be weary, and walk and not faint. And I, the Lord, give unto them a promise that the destroying angel will pass by them as the children of Israel and not slay them. End quote. Doctrine and Covenants 89, 18-21 If you find yourself addicted to any substance, the church has provided means to overcome it through the Addiction Recovery Program, adapted from the 12-step program from Alcoholics Anonymous. LDS bishops are authorized to, and trained to help with overcoming addictions. Tithing is another topic that I will go into in more in depth in a future episode. It is a long history from the time of Abraham until the present. In the Church, in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we believe that tithing should be 10% of our increase, or how much money you make. Preach My Gospel says that this is understood to be our income. Here is an in- overview from www.mormonthink.com tithing. Tithing is an ancient law practiced in the Old Testament times such as when Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek. It was reestablished in 1838 through Joseph Smith. Tithing is a debt owed to God. No matter the financial situation, every member is expected to pay that debt. Failure to do so is the same as robbing God, and is deserving of God's curse. However, honestly paying tithing guarantees that God will pour out many, as many blessings, so many blessings upon the giver that they will not have room to receive them. Statements such as this are often made. Quote, I think it is not well known to the church in the church. I think it is not well known in the church that payment of tithing has very little to do with money. Tithing has to do with faith. End quote. Such statements move the focus away from the monetary and towards the spiritual. Tithing is part of the obligations of sacrifice and consecration members are to follow. End quote. For future questions about tithing, ask an LDS bishop, as they have more training in the subject than I do. Preach My Gospel says the following in regard to the use of tithing funds. Tithing funds are used to support the ongoing activities of the church, such as building and maintaining temples and meeting houses, carrying the gospel to all the world, conducting temple, temple and family history work, and many other worldwide activities. Tithing does not pay local church leaders who serve without receiving payment of any kind. Local church leaders send the tithing received each week directly to the church headquarters. 
A council comprised of the First Presidency, the Quorum of the Twelve, and the Presiding Bishopric determines specific ways to use the sacred tithing funds. Every first Sunday of the month in the LDS Church is referred to as Fast Sunday. This is because it is the day of the month which, in which members are encouraged to fast. Fasting in the LDS Church means to abstain from food and drink for 24 hours or two consecutive meals. Or, as it is often practiced in the United States, from the end of dinner on Saturday to just before dinner on Sunday. While fasting is a commandment, God gives us a little leeway on when and how we do it. Like many things, fasting is between you and the Lord. If medical condition prohibits you from fasting for 24 hours, fasting for a meal would do. If you are required by your doctors to drink water every so often, then you can still fast and drink water. It's about honesty with yourself and with the Lord. There are many physical benefits of fasting. Occasional fasting can be good for your body to cleanse itself. Fasting also has many spiritual benefits. In order to, for a fast to be effective, you need to pray before and after, to begin and conclude the fast. When combined with prayer, fasting can allow you to access the powers of heaven. That is why we fast for a purpose. It is a private and sacred experience, and we should not draw attention to the fact that we are fasting. To enhance the fasting experience, we meet for testimony meeting directly following the administration of the sacrament, in which members are encouraged to share brief statements of belief or testimonies. We are also encouraged to pay fast offerings. According to Preach My Gospel, quote, Pure religion includes caring for the poor. We are to help them meet their physical and spiritual needs. When we fast, we donate money to the church for the care of the poor and needy. We call this a fast offering. We give at least the amount of money we save by fasting two meals. However, we need not limit our contribution to the cost of two meals. We are encouraged to be as generous as our means allow. By caring for the poor, we help fulfill our baptismal covenant and retain our remission of our sins. Finally, the Lord asks us to obey and honor the laws of the land in which you dwell. Good citizenship is encouraged by the church. We can do this through participation in civil government and the political, political process. Community service is a big part of this. We are encouraged to be good neighbors as well as citizens. Members of the church must remember that as, as they engage in politics and government, no matter, no matter what level, they are not representatives of the church. I end with other clubbing guts, final words in his October 2014 talk. Quote, Yours is the privilege, if you want it, to come to know for yourself, today or soon, that you are pleasing God in spite of your shortcomings. I testify of a loving Savior who expects us to live the commandments. I testify of a loving Savior who is so very anxious to bestow his grace and mercy. I testify of a loving Savior who rejoices when we apply his atonement daily with the calm and happy assurance that we are facing in the right direction. I testify of a loving Savior who is anxious for your confidence to wax strong in the presence of God. End quote. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to check out our Facebook page and our blog, www.mhistorypod.com. If you have any questions, shoot me a message on Facebook via the Mormon History Podcast. Also, feel free to email me at mhistorypod at gmail.com for comments or questions. Also, please leave a rating on whatever app or site you're using. Thanks again. This has been the Mormon History Podcast.